he was always a stranger. Here on earth, Jesus was always an outsider. He came to his own people, the Jews, but they didn't accept him. They rejected him. They hated him. They scorned him. And when you think about it, the cross was Jesus' ultimate pilgrim moment. The cross was his ultimate outsider moment when they crucified him. And it was only as he went to his father at the cross that Jesus finished his pilgrimage, that he went home. And this morning, what we're going to see is Jesus' pilgrim pattern is our pilgrim pattern. The Christian life is pilgrim suffering before glory. The shape of the Christian life is suffering here before heavenly glory. And in fact, you see it all the way through 1 Peter. It's always good to have in your mind, what is the major theme of a particular book? So the major theme of the book of Romans is Paul is unpacking his gospel message. The big theme of 1 Peter is suffering comes before glory. And it comes all the way through the book. So have a look in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. I'll show you just a quick canter through the book. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Notice all the future speaking there. It's coming, it's in the last time, it's heavenly. In this you greatly rejoice... Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Do you see the pattern of the Christian life there? We have this glorious heavenly future in home. We've got an inheritance in heaven. But here life on the road is different. Here we suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And that's because our path is modeled on Jesus' path. So look down in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently... And with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. You see the pattern? Our path and Jesus' path are the same. It's suffering now and glories to follow. You can see it over in chapter 2. Have a look in chapter 2, verse 20. 2, verse 20. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. You see, we're pilgrims following in in the steps of our Lord Jesus. Or just flip over to chapter 5, verse 1, 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, And one who will also share in the glory to be revealed. See, there's the same pattern again. It's pilgrim suffering before we share in the glory that's going to be revealed at home. And Peter's written, 1 Peter is written to help us on this pilgrim path. What he does is he tells us why we suffer and he helps us to cope with this suffering and he helps us to to get through it. And so we're just going to look quickly at three passages. Just so that you know, today is much shorter than any of the other talks. It's shorter than a normal, even normal uni church talk. We're just going to look at three passages. Firstly, why do we suffer? Well, have a look in chapter 1, verse 6. 
He says, in this you greatly rejoice, that is our heavenly future, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is going to sound extraordinary for some of us. But the reason you suffer is because God gives it to you as a gift. Lots of Christians think that suffering only actually comes from the devil. Nice things come from God. So, so God and Satan are locked in this, this cosmic battle and we're caught in the middle of it. And whenever bad things happen in my life, that's because Satan is winning. And whenever good things happen, that's because God is winning. But no, 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 both joy and suffering, both good and bad come from the same God. God's the one who says, I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light, I create the darkness, I bring prosperity and I create disaster, says the Lord. I do all these things. You see, suffering is actually from God. Satan might be involved, he's got his, he's got his wily schemes, he's got his purposes, but God is in charge of both good and evil in our life, of suffering and joy. Now, why would God do that? Why would God make me suffer here if I'm bound for heavenly glory? Well, it's because suffering is how God gets me to heavenly glory. Because look in verse 7, Peter says, suffering is what proves our faith genuine. And the word he uses there is refines. Suffering is what refines our faith. It's what you do to precious metals. So if you've got gold and it's got some impurities in it, what you do is you heat it up to a temperature that removes those impurities. And suffering does the same thing to our faith. It heats our faith up to a temperature that proves it genuine, that refines it. The fact is, every single Christian is going to go through trials. You can be guaranteed of this. If you haven't yet gone through trials, it's only because you haven't lived long enough to face them, but you will. And when you do, that's when you're going to discover if you really do trust God. When God takes you down a pilgrim path that you never would have chosen for yourself, say the path of singleness, or the path of losing a child, or the path of joblessness, or depression, or persecution, when God takes you down a path that you think, I would never have walked this path by myself, you're going to find yourself asking, do I really trust God? Do I really trust God? Do I really trust that God loves me? Do I really trust God's promises? Because some Christians will say, no, at this point I don't. If this is where God is leading me, I don't trust him. I'm not going there. And what that shows is that they never really did trust God. They never had genuine faith because as soon as that faith was tested, it just fell apart. But if you can go through depression and say, I still trust him. If you can lose a baby and say, I still trust him. If you can trust him when people hurt you and abandon you, when your dreams of marriage are dashed, if you can say, I still trust him, well, at that moment, your faith is refined. It's made stronger and tougher. I actually watched that this week. 
One of my closest friends, a guy who I lived with uh, after uni when I was an MTS, a fellow named Glenn, he and his wife Catherine just lost their eldest son. In his teenage years, uh, he had a cancer that started in his foot and spread. And I read the Facebook post that Glenn and Catherine put and they said, we sat by his side, we held each a hand and we prayed and we sent him home to the Father and we will go and join him one day. And I thought, my goodness, there's something so tragic, so horrific and yet so very beautiful in that moment. They just clung to God in faith and their faith is refined. In fact, Peter uses some strange language here in this passage that I think helps us to see what our real danger is as pilgrims. Just have another look from verse 4 for a second. Peter says, We have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last day. Peter says God is actually shielding us by his great power until our final salvation. But shielding us from what? What are we being shielded from? Because it can't be suffering, can it? Because Peter says we are suffering. God uses suffering. It can't be pain that God's shielding us from because God uses our pain. No, what God's shielding us from is falling away. God's shielding us so that in verse 9 you will receive the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. God's shielding us from throwing our faith away. You see, what do you need protection from in this world? From pain? From suffering? From persecution? From illness? From death? No, what you need protection from is comfort. What you need protection from is becoming secure in this world and becoming a local. Have you ever thought about the idea of what a local is? A local is someone who's got local attitudes. They've got local values. They've got local dreams. They've got local ideas. And the local values of the world that we live in, especially the Western world, is comfort, and money, and pleasure, get a good degree and a good career so that you can live comfortably and you can spend your summers on the beach. They're the local values. But Peter says, we're not locals. We're pilgrims. And the single biggest danger for a pilgrim is settling down. It's getting so comfortable here that he lays down his pack And he just forgets the journey. And the thing is, God loves you too much to let you get comfortable. That's why he sends sufferings. God loves you too much to have a life of ease. He wants to shield you from getting too comfortable. And so he sends you sufferings to refine your trust in him, to keep you on that road. Fight the urge to become a local. The thing about pilgrims is pilgrims travel light. Pilgrims carry only what they need for the journey and anything else just weighs them down. So anything that comes into a pilgrim's life, they're asking themselves, is this going to help me on my journey to heaven? Is this career 
going to help me on my journey to heaven as a pilgrim? Is this wife or this husband going to help me on my journey to heaven? Is this house, is this car, is this church, is this iPhone going to help me on my journey to heaven because I don't want to be weighed down by excess baggage? Have you caught that idea? Have you got it? Or are you actually just slowly settling down and becoming a local? This week, why not do an audit in your life? Look through your life and ask yourself about all the different elements of your life. Is this helping me on my pilgrimage to heaven? And if it's not, will you ditch it? You see, God loves you too much to let you get comfortable and become a local. That's why he sends sufferings. But 1 Peter 4 gives us another reason why we suffer. So flip over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, 1 Peter 4 verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude. Because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he doesn't live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and lust and drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. So I want you to notice again this pattern of the pilgrim life. In verse 1, we suffer because Jesus suffered. Christ suffered in his body and that means we will too. And Paul gives, uh, Peter sorry, gives us two reasons why it is we suffer. In verse 4, we suffer because like Jesus, we won't plunge into the world's flood of dissipation. Isn't that an amazing description of the world's immorality? It's a flood of dissipation. It's debauchery and it's lust and it's drunkenness and it's orgies and it's carousing. This is actually what our world is like when you let the world be itself. And the thing is, Peter's saying, if you stand apart from all of that, if you say, I'm not going to plunge with you into all of those things, you can expect to be abused for it. What do you mean you're not going to come out and get smashed with us? Don't you like a drink? Are you afraid that the real you is going to come out? That's what it is, isn't it? You're afraid that if you let yourself off the chain, the real you is that you've been hiding from us is going to come out. Or is that actually that you just think you're too good for us? That's what it is, isn't it? Christians always hate you religious types. You always think you're better than everyone else. That's the kind of language that gets used, isn't it? And it's what you can expect if you're a pilgrim in this world because we don't share the values of the locals. And because we don't share the values of the locals, they're going to hate us for it. It's actually gotten so much harder just in my lifetime. When I first became a Christian in the late 80s, for most of my Christian life, Christians have been seen as largely nice people who are just a little bit odd. You know, they're the nice churchy types who look after the poor. We open the op shops and we marriage people and they're a bit soft-headed because they believe in this Jesus thing. But essentially, Christians are nice, harmless people. That's not how the world sees us anymore, is it? No, now we're seen as bad people. Now we're seen as bigots, as narrow-minded and oppressive and as moralistic. And we're bad people because we won't plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. We won't plunge with them into sexual immorality. 
We won't plunge with them into transgenderism and abortion and those kinds of things. And they're going to hate us for it. I think the next 50 years of being a Christian is going to be much harder than the last 50 years. I think the next 50 years is going to be much more like what the first century was. And I've got to ask you, are you prepared for that? Are you prepared for life as a pilgrim to stand out on this road, to not feel like you fit in and to be hated for Jesus? Because you see, that's the pilgrim pattern. It's suffering before glory. And yet in verse 1, Peter actually says something quite wonderful. Have a look in verse 1. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. That is, God will actually use this persecution to help us to be more godly, to help us to live with him. That is, as we're attacked for living for Jesus, we learn not to give in to our desires. We learn self-discipline. We learn obedience to Jesus. I'm going to talk more about this in the next passage. But God uses our suffering to help us to grow to become more like him. And so let me ask you a question. Are you living as a pilgrim who is different to your friends who aren't Christian? Do you really stand out in your godliness? What do you like when you're around your friends, when you're the only Christian in a group of friends who aren't Christian? Do you find yourself swearing just like they do? Do you find yourself gossiping just like they do? Do you drink too much around your friends who aren't Christian? Do you make crude jokes about the opposite gender, opposite sex around friends who aren't Christian? Do you censor God out of your conversation around your friends who aren't Christian? At one level, they're really small things, aren't they? I mean, what's a swear word in the big scheme of things? What's a crude joke in the big scheme of things? It's what they represent. It's the decision to blend in with the locals. It's the decision to lay down my pack and not be a pilgrim, to make myself at home here instead of living for heaven. We need to get used to leaving one drink earlier than everyone else. We need to get used to walking away from that gossiping conversation and not laughing at the crude joke. We need to get used to defending the person who's absent. We need to get used to being thought of as just a bit weird, a bit of a prude, not one of the gang, because the fact is we're not one of the gang. We're pilgrims on a road. In fact, do you maybe need to go back to your group of friends and say, guys, I'm sorry, I haven't been entirely honest with you. I haven't been myself around you. Actually, I, I'm different. I follow the Lord Jesus Christ and can I tell you about him? Because I haven't been honest with you. See, in 1 Peter 1, we suffer because it refines our faith. In 1 Peter 4, we suffer because we're pilgrims who follow Jesus in a dissipated world. One last passage about suffering is 1 Peter chapter 3. So just turn back to chapter 3 and have a look in verse 8. Verse 
He says, finally, which is kind of ironic, finally, and then he goes on for two more chapters. But anyway, it's a little bit like one of my talks. (laughs) Finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Live as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for doing what's right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It's better if it's God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Peter says something amazingly helpful there in verse 13, doesn't he? He says, who's going to harm you if you're eager to do good? And it is true at one level, isn't it? That people will actually like us more if we follow God. Because who would you want as a friend, right? Who would you want as a flatmate or as a co-worker? The person who lies and who gossips and who slanders everyone who's not there or the person who's faithful and the person who's humble and the person who's patient and the person who's gentle. Who would you rather as a flatmate, right? That is, even people who aren't Christian can see that godliness is attractive. So Peter says, who's going to harm you if you're going to do good? And yet almost in the same breath, he says, but that's not an ironclad guarantee. You're still going to suffer. If you do the good, if you do follow Jesus. Because remember, we're not joining in with their flood of dissipation. And so look what Peter tells us to do in verse 14, that I think is just such wonderful advice. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. I think one of the key questions that Christians need to ask ourselves is, Who am I going to be frightened of? Who am I going to be most afraid of? Because for me, I have to say, it's people. I get really scared of people. What are they going to say to me? More, what are they going to say about me? What lie are they going to tell? Will people believe it? Because, you know, the most ironic and weird thing in the world, everyone knows that you shouldn't believe slander. Everyone knows that gossip is almost always a lie, and yet everyone always believes it. Even Christians, we constantly believe it when people gossip to us. It drives me crazy. But we're always afraid of people. And Peter says, no, no, you've got to work out who you're going to be afraid of. You've got to be more afraid of Jesus than them. And in verse 14, he quotes Isaiah 8. See what he says? He says, do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. And that's actually from Isaiah 8. And the thing about Isaiah is, Isaiah had very good reason to be afraid of people. Isaiah was actually younger than you guys are now when God called him to be a prophet to the entire nation of Israel. And God, right at the beginning of Isaiah's ministry, said, I need you to know you're going to fail. 
I'm not sending you to Israel so that they'll turn back to me. I'm sending you to Israel because they won't turn back and I've actually decided to judge them. You are going to be a failure as a prophet. They're going to hate you and they're going to persecute you. That's what God said to Isaiah from the very beginning. You can read it in around about chapter 6. And in the face of that, in Isaiah 8, God says, But do not fear what they fear and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you're to regard as holy, and He's the one you're to fear. He is the one you're to dread, not people. And Peter quotes that same passage to us. He says, Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. This is one of the great passages that proves the Trinity, by the way, because Peter takes a passage that is about Yahweh in the Old Testament, and he applies it and says, Jesus is the one you're to fear. In other words, if Jesus is not God, Peter has just massively misapplied the old testament he's actually just committed an enormous heresy and blasphemy because he has equated jesus with god but isn't jesus more terrifying than anyone you've ever come across remember who we saw jesus is jesus is the one who rules over satan jesus is the one who conquered on the cross jesus is the one who is at god's right hand isn't jesus far more majestic and frankly far more terrifying than anyone you will ever face. And so shouldn't Jesus be the one that we're more afraid of letting down than anyone else? Remember that when you're on social media. Remember that when you're talking to your parents or when you're talking to your friends. Ask yourself, who is my Lord here? Jesus or them? Who's more powerful here? Jesus or them? Who's going to judge me? Jesus or them? So who am I going to serve here? Jesus or them? I constantly have to remind myself because I'm more afraid of the person in front of me than the one who sits enthroned in heaven. It kind of changes your perspective though, doesn't it? What it does is it leads us to speak up. That's what Peter says next in verse 15. Have a look. He says, always be prepared to give an answer. For any, everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. As the kind of the hint of courtroom language there. When people put us on trial, Peter says, don't be afraid of them, but set apart Christ as Lord and always be prepared and ready for your defense. That's the word that's there for answer. It's defense. In other words, when people persecute us, when people challenge us for being Christians, we don't stop preaching the gospel. We step it up. We give our defense. We give the reason for the hope we believe. We say, look, this is why I'm a Christian. This is why I live the way I do. This is why I don't gossip. This is why I don't join in when people are being attacked. This is why I believe Jesus rose from the dead. This is why I believe what I believe about marriage. These are the reasons I have for the hope that I have. Because actually, look, we've got every reason in the world to be confident. Jesus really is the Lord of the universe and Jesus' way of living really is the best way to live. Christianity is by far the most sensible, intelligent, logical, rational way you could ever organize your life. And so rather than getting all scared and shy and defensive, we ought to be going on the attack. We ought to be asking our friends constantly, why do you believe what you do? Why don't you believe in God? There's so much evidence for him. Why do you think that your life is worth something if the whole universe is just some cosmic accident? Where do you get your morals from? Why, don't, why do you believe that this is right and this is wrong? Challenge people. 
I'm not saying we need to be rude or arrogant about it. So verse 15, he says, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. Even as we do challenge people, we've got to be gentle and respectful. But remember who's the Lord. Remember what's true. Remember what's actually right. Remember who is ruling in heaven and speak up. But do you see what Peter's saying about the pilgrim life? This is a hard road that we're on. We are on a road of suffering before glory. And this might sound really awful, but this road is so hard that in my experience, based on my experience of, say, 30 years now working in student ministry, in 10 years' time, probably one in five of you won't be following Jesus. 30 people. There's about 150 of us here this morning, I think. In 10 years' time, 30 of you will have chucked in the faith. Because it's just that hard. But I reckon that's what I've seen over the last 30 years. This is a tough road. And it makes you ask, well, how do we get through it? How can I stick on this road with Jesus to the very end? And your answer might be, I've got to get more disciplined. I've got to, I've got to get up earlier. I'm going to have a quiet time. I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to start doing stuff. Look at Peter's answer. Peter's answer is, fall in love with Jesus. Come back and have a look at 1 Peter chapter 1. So Peter's just said, we're going to suffer He's just said it's grief in all kinds of trials. And then look at what he says in verse 8. Though you have not seen Jesus, you love him. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him or you trust him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. I so love those verses. I've always so loved those verses. Because what keeps us on the road is Jesus. We've never actually seen him. The the people Peter was writing to had never actually seen Jesus because they were born all over the world. And we don't see him now because Jesus, the pilgrim, is ahead of us on the road. He's reached heavenly glory already. So we don't see him. him. We haven't seen him. But Peter says, oh, we love him. And we trust him. And in the midst of suffering, he is going to save our souls. And to be honest, that's the thing I hope has happened for you most this week. That you've just grown to love Jesus more. When you saw what Jesus went through on Friday night, when you saw all of that pain and being sin-laden and forsakenness, the absolute aloneness of Jesus, and when you realized that he did that for you, did you love him a little bit more? Because I did. And when you saw that as Jesus went to the cross, when we looked at this on Saturday night, that it's in this dark world of sin, 
Jesus went to the cross and said, I love the Father and therefore not what I will, but you will be done. Did you love Jesus a little bit more because of his obedience? Because I did. And when you saw that the Father loved Jesus on the cross, that even extraordinarily, even as God is forsaking Jesus, he is loving Jesus. And even as the Father turns his back on Jesus, he welcomes him home. Did you love both the Father and the Son a little bit more? Because I did. And with my eyes fixed on Jesus, I think I can just about stay on this road. Knowing that Jesus has walked before me, knowing what Jesus has done, I think I can just about stay on this road. Just spend the rest of your life learning to love Jesus a little bit more every day. That's what you've got to do. Learn to love him a little bit more every day. Just spend the rest of your life learning to trust Jesus a little bit more every day. And he'll lead you home. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who went to the cross in our place, the one who took our pain and our suffering, the one who was laden with our sin, the one who loved us and the Father to the very end, we praise you. And even though we haven't seen you and we can't see you, we love you. Please lead us home. Help us to live as pilgrims in a world of pain and suffering, know that you suffered, knowing that you suffered before us and that you are at home and that you're leading us there. Amen.